0: things are pretty good i have a good job i have great friends i have an awesome girlfriend everything's great i take after my family and it's just the way i was raised i don't really have enough time to volunteer work is just too crazy right now but i'm I'm pretty successful I may have a few bad habits, but I'm still in control. I don't drink near as much as my father does. My relationship isn't perfect, but whose is? Come on, I'm not stuck in all this. I'm not stuck. I'm not stuck in this. I'm stuck. Morning, everybody. I haven't met you before. My name is Grant. My family has actually been stuck in the middle of a medical crisis over the last couple of days. Uh, Laurel's mom and her stepdad uh, flew into Abbotsford on Friday, and uh, uh, Archie had a heart attack getting off the plane. And so we've been running back and forth uh, doing international healthcare, which is an interesting, uh, interesting transition and moment back there. So, uh, I will say that I am, uh, short on prayer and short on preparation, so I have no idea how this is going to go this morning, and that always makes life really interesting in Christ the King. So, if you want to grab your Bible or your app, 1 Samuel chapter 4 is where we're going to be. This past week, uh, I, I had a, an opportunity to go for a meeting just down the street here to a local coffee shop. I was walking along, texting and walking, which is never advisable for anyone to do, uh, much less texting and driving. And uh, there was a pile of stuff in the middle of the sidewalk. I didn't see it till the last second, and it's not what you're thinking, a different pile of stuff. And uh, I was walking along, saw it at the very last second, tried to step around it, and ended up planting the heel of my boot right in the middle of this material. Um, Didn't think about it really, kind of went on to my, you know, tried to wipe off as much as I could, which is what you do when you step in something. And I went down to the shop and and I realized that um, uh, when I'm sitting talking to somebody, I don't usually put my feet flat on the floor. I I tend to like ride up on my toes, maybe a nervous twitch, I have no idea. Finished the coffee time, walked back here to church. Didn't think of it, went straight into a meeting, was standing backstage with some of the guys, just kind of looking at design and different things for our Easter sets and just working on that kind of stuff. And I had re- actually been standing in one location for a significantly long period of time without moving. And then everybody kind of left, and I'm standing there, you know, thinking to myself, processing, and, and, and I go to leave, <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. <clears throat> Finally, for the rest of the day, I'm walking around going, click, 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 because I drove back past it. Apparently, I stepped in a product called Liquid Nails, okay? Not recommended for anybody unless, of course, you enjoy being very, very stationary. And I'm going to tell you something. There are times when the Bible causes me moments just like I experienced when I was standing backstage. Something just kind of catches me. It catches my heel, my head, my heart, and, and the reason that, that it catches me is because I'm reading along and I get stuck and I can't move, because the story of God's interaction with people actually leads me troub- it leaves me troubled. I don't get it. So I got stuck in one of those moments last week. Let me share it with you, and I'm going to warn you on the front end. This story is not what you think it is. The Bible says this for Samuel 4. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. And the Israelites camped at Ebenezer, the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let's stop there, just so we understand, okay? The people of God lose. And I get stuck there because we think, you know, we are the people of God, right? We're supposed to be doing the right thing. So aren't God's chosen people supposed to win? I mean, surely there's got to be a bonus, some kind of a payout for, for following God, right? Life is supposed to be easy and light and wonderful. And it's just, you know, once you accept Jesus, it all just goes perfect from that point on, right? They lose and they do what I think all of us do when there's a loss. They ask the question, why? The people of God ask a logical question. Why? Well, why did we lose? And we've been asking the same questions ever since Genesis chapter 3, when the world fell apart. Why did, the, why did the tumor grow? Why did the cancer spread? Why did the divorce happen? Why is there pain? Why didn't this go my way? Why wasn't there a payoff? Why didn't God do what he was told when I told him I needed to win this week? Has anybody else noticed that there's a great shortage of really good answers to the question, why? Anybody else figured that out? So in true human fashion, the people of God make a plan. They make a plan because we all know how it works, right? If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's what you do, right? So you, you, you pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you, you make a plan and you come back out with them. And so here's what their plan was. Okay, get a picture in your mind before you go to the scripture. Just get a picture. There's four Israelite generals. They're gathered in a tent. They just lost, you know, thousands of their closest friends. And they come together like, and say, what are we going to do? we got to go out and fight this battle again. And one of the generals pulls out a table and he rolls out a piece of paper and he goes, okay, guys, here's the plan. We're going to get the box. And the other guy's like, really? You think it's time? Absolutely. Get the box. Your Bible says... Let's bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he, some of your translations say it, may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh when they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty who's enthroned between the cherubim, don't get lost in the word, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Okay, I love this. I love, my Bible is just my favorite thing because it just comes alive. The plan is so simple. Get the box and bring the big guns. That's what we're going to do. You know the box, right? You saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, it's the thing Indiana Jones has been searching for his entire career, right? It melts the faces off of Nazis when they touch it in the wrong direction, and it's overlaid with gold, and now we all know where it is, right? It's in a warehouse in the United States inside of a wooden crate, and it just sits there and it hums. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to get a life and watch the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, okay? Okay? It's biblical, okay, so, (laughs) but that's what they say, get the box, the overlaid golden box that's got two cherubim on the top of it. That's just fancy words for angels, okay? Angel statues on the top of this whole thing. We're going to get the box, and the box would go with the people of Israel, and it represented the presence of of God. So get the box. And then they go, just get in the box. That's what We need some celebrities. We need two Christian celebrities because it always goes better when you've got celebrities. So let's bring the kids of the high priest, Hophni and Phinehas. And then we're going to get all pumped up and we're going to listen to the theme from Rocky and we're going to go out and, and we're going to open up some bad stuff on the Philistines. This is perfect. we got a box and we've got Christian celebrities. This is going to be awesome. It's in your Bible. Verse 5, when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. I mean, the Israelites are pumped up. Why? Box celebrities. This is perfect. I mean, they're thinking in their head, Philistines, you might as well not even show up tomorrow. You know why? We have a box. Verse 6, hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, little g singular, that's important. They said, oh no, nothing like this has ever happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hands of these mighty gods? Little g plural. These are the gods, little g plural, who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. So be strong, Philistines, be men, or you'll be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Here's what we need to know. The enemy of God is scared of God. They're scared. And you're thinking, you're reading the story going, they should be. This is cool. We have a box of celebrities. This is going to go amazing for us. The Philistines don't even know who they're dealing with. They talk about a little g god singular that came into the camp. Nothing that's ever like this. This has ever happened before. And then they start thinking, this is not going to go well for us because the gods, little g plural, have showed up and they're the same gods. They don't even understand it. They took out the Egyptian army. I mean, this is crazy. This is the same little g gods plural. That that pounded the Egyptians with plague after plague after plague. They don't know if there's one or a whole bunch. They just know this. They are scared to death. So the stage is set. Here comes the battle. I'm reading my Bible. I'm like, awesome. Got a box. Celebrities. This is going to go so unbelievably well. And now we've got history on our side. Awesome. Here it comes. Guaranteed win, verse 10, so the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent and the slaughter was very great and Israel lost 30,000 soldiers and the ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phineas, died. Aren't you just so happy you came to church today? (laughs) What? Where's the guaranteed win? They checked all the right boxes. They they did all the right stuff. They 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 went and they had a box. They had two Christian celebrities up front. How can this? What what in the what? I did not see that coming. Something just caught your heel, your head, your heart. Because here's the simple fact. As much as you don't want it to go there, the people of God go into battle and they lose again. And some of you are like, whoa, you know, like back up the train, shut the front door. That does not compute. If you do the right things, you're supposed to get the right outcome. If you check the right boxes, there's a guaranteed win, Right? And I don't have time to unpack it, but if you continue to read in your Bible, the story doesn't get any better. Hophni and Phinehas, his dad, Eli, the high priest, he falls off a chair and breaks his neck. His daughter-in-law, who's married to one of those two guys that just got killed, she has, a do- she has a son. The little boy is born, and she names him Ichabod, which means God is departed. For the love of God, do not name your kid Ichabod. It will not go well for them in middle school. I'm just saying, all right? And we read that, it's like, what? But we live it. When the tumor grows and the cancer spreads, and the layoff notice comes, and the depression overtakes you, and you can't for the life of you figure out, why didn't I get a win? Now, there's always more to the story, right? That's why Paul Harvey's one of my favorite guys. There's always more. A few interesting side stories we probably didn't see as we journeyed to this point in Scripture. You've been talking. We've been talking about the cycle of Israel in the book of Judges, right? Well, it just so happens that the people of Israel are on the part of the cycle where they're forgetting and forsaking God, and there's consequences when they make decisions because they've, they've had the presence of God parked in a different location for a really, really long time. They thought they could just go out and do whatever they wanted to, so the ark had been parked and the presence of God had been pushed off to the side. I mean, why did they need the presence of God after all? You don't need that day-to-day. You only need God in a crisis, right? You only need them when, when you have to pull the bell chain and go, Come on, God, i got a problem down here, and you need to step in and fix this, because that's your job. On another note, the two celebrities, the big guns they brought in, there's a description of them two chapters earlier. The Israelites probably should have paid attention to this. First Samuel 2.12, Eli's sons were wicked men, and they had no regard for the Lord. Oh. They had position but not character, status but no substance. Here's a word to the wise in the room. Do not chase celebrities, especially when it comes to pastors. Can I tell you something about pastors? They're human beings, and they make mistakes, and sometimes they leave the presence of God in a different location for a really, really long time before they figure out that they actually need Him every single day, just like you do. Chase, Jesus, not celebrity. You will be disappointed, I promise. You stick around here long enough, I will disappoint you. You know why? Because I'm human. Let me break it down for you before we all get really, really depressed. <laughs> Just so you're encouraged, someone texted me that was here last night and said, you should have told people to wear steel-toed boots and a hard hat for this message. <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay. So what happened? What happened? Why did this go down the way it is? Well, this is the way my Bible teaches me. Okay? The people of God mistook ritual for relationship. They mistook a ritual for relationship. When you're losing, this is what happens. We think I've just got to start doing the right things and God's going to make everything better. So you bring in the box. Right? It's God in a box and it's perfect. You've got God conveniently in the box and this is basically what happens. You open the lid and God pops out and you tell him what you want and he does that because he's a really, really loving God and then you put him back in the box because you know this. If God hangs around too much, he starts messing with your stuff. And he starts messing with your schedule. So you've got him in a box, and you invite him out, and then you put him right back in, and you slam the lid, because you wouldn't want him to mess with your stuff, would you? And you do the right things. you got a crisis, so you go to church, and you pray the right prayers, and you perform for God so that God will perform for you, right? You mistake ritual for relationship. You practice rabbit's foot theology. God's my good luck charm, and I pull him out when I need him, and I rub the rabbit's foot, or I polish the lamp, and and the genie just pops up, and I tell him exactly what I want, and if he doesn't deliver, he doesn't love me. You get the box, right, because it's a guaranteed win, and that's what God is there for, right? To give me what I want so that I can do whatever I want to with my life. Is this getting personal for anybody? It's the epitome of being religious. I give so that I can get. And here's the deal with the Israelites. They were worshiping the box, not the presence of God, which was represented by the box. Can I tell you something? Coming here is not it. There's nothing holy about this box that we're sitting inside of. The only thing that makes this holy is when the presence of God shows up. That's the only thing. There's nothing super spiritual or supernatural about your chair or your cup holder or the carpet or the bricks and the mortar. The only thing that turns this into a beautiful sacred space is when the God of the universe decides to bless us with his presence. But sometimes we just start thinking, right? Right? Well, if I could just get to church, if I can just go there, then I'm gonna experience God in a different way. Can I tell you something? God is just as much out there as He is in here. He's in your car. This is gonna freak you out. He's in your bedroom, He's in your office. He's on that little path that you walk on the side of the lake. He's out at night creating light that's coming from stars and the moon just so you can see your dog. I mean, that's the kind of God you have. He's everywhere. He's saturating this entire area. He's the air that you breathe. Do we understand that? But We just keep sticking him in a box. It's a classic mistake, right? I go to church to worship God, and that's cool. Unless you mistake a place or a thing which would be a ritual for a relationship. Here's the bottom line. If your ritual doesn't result in an encounter with Jesus, it's useless. Wow. Let's keep going. Here's the deal with the Israelites. The people of God cared more about what they got from him than being in relationship with him. We talked about this in our prayer series earlier this year, right? That our attitude is often this. You know, give me, bless me, give me, bless me, give me, bless me. Hey, God, here's my list. I'm going to need a full accounting of these requests by 4 p.m., so you better get busy because I've got a schedule to keep. That's your job. Check the boxes, God. Come on, let's go. You know what? This is what I've learned. I think a true test of my faith and my belief in God is how I respond when the God of the universe says no. I mean, when God says no, does that push me back to God in trust and dependence, or does the no just become a sore spot in my soul that I go back to over and over and over again? Because God did not perform for me. Here's the deal. people of God were playing a game of religious ritual that ended up in defeat and disappointment. It's a tough deal, isn't it? Because we go, I don't understand, Grant. I checked the right boxes. I did the right things. And I didn't get what I want. Can I tell you, when all you're doing is going through the religious motions, I will absolutely promise you, you will end up defeated and disappointed in God. Because God's not interested in your ritual. He wants you. You know, you've probably been there. You got a problem, so you go to church, and you sign up for class, and you watch a cheesy Christian movie, and you chuck a couple of bucks in the bucket, and then you wait. You wait because you got the box. You even listen to your favorite Christian podcast, and you wait because if I do the right things, I'm going to get a guaranteed win. That's what the Israelites were thinking, and when it doesn't happen... Our response is, God doesn't love me, and I nurse a sore spot for years. Listen to this sore spot, verse 2 of chapter 7. The ark remained at Curious Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. 20 years. I mean, for 20 years, the people of God are stuck in defeat and disappointment. I mean, let's just stop there for a second. But you can do a lot in 20 years, can't you? 20 years of being mad, figuring stuff out. Why did we lose? 20 years of realizing that following celebrities is just plain disappointing on every single level, especially when they're Christian celebrities. 20 years of kicking yourself for thinking, if I just did enough of the right things. 20 years of realizing God doesn't want your performance, God wants you. 20 years of figuring out that God doesn't want to be a genie that pops out of a bottle, solves a problem, and disappears. You know what? This just amazes me how my brain can get so twisted into that kind of a thought pattern. That somehow God is, is is on a paging system, and I call Him when I'm in crisis, and I actually expect Him to show up and fix it, even though I sin my way into the middle of it. You know, God doesn't just want to be invited into your problem. God wants to walk with you in the midst of the problem. He wants you to depend on him, live for him, and not leave him in another location until you're desperate enough to have to call. That's a relationship. When you're together, good and bad. You know, I'm reading my scripture again this week. Jesus said this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I hear that that verse, and there's something in me as a human being that just naturally goes towards two words, easy and light. That's what I want. I want it to be easy, and I want it to be light. I want my life to be blessed. I want to be able to just move along and not have to work anything. I want God to spray me with spiritual Teflon so I don't have to deal with all the other problems that everybody else has to deal with in the world. I just want it to to not stick to me and slide right off. And we read that verse and we go, yes, easy light. I'm claiming those two things. And we forget that the verse starts with these words. Take my yoke. Hmm. There's a yoke. You know what a yoke is? So A a yoke is a piece of wood that gets strapped around the neck of two oxen so that they can pull heavy steel through really tough ground. Does that sound easy and light to anybody? We forget that these verses are a picture of God right alongside of us, yoked up together with our broken humanity. Pulling the weight, and that the only reason it's easy or light is because the God that is pulling beside us is strong. We need to learn that. There's only one funny part of the whole st- 1 Samuel 4 through 7. The Philistines capture the ark, and seven months later, they're trying to give it back. <laughs> they're just like, We don't want this thing. This thing is, this does not go well. Apparently, Having God's presence when you're not following God does not go well for you. Has anybody else, any rebels in the room ever figured that out? Somewhere along the line, you invited God to be a part of your life, and then you decided to go and do your own thing, and you found out that God of heaven is actually the hound of heaven, and he will follow you and nip at your heels and drive you crazy until you come to a place where you just say, okay, I give. I give. The Philistines figured it out. They had the presence of God, and suddenly they didn't want it anymore. Because when the presence of God and the Lordship of Christ are not together, it's not a fun place to be. They try to give it back. You don't mess with God's box. Now, there's a lesson in here for both parties. You don't mess with God's stuff. And for the record, you are God's stuff. And God gave you a box. And you are to treat it with respect and dignity because it's his gift to you and you don't own it your body says you are not your own you were bought with a price so you need to treat that box with respect the bible says you're supposed to honor him the people of israel finally finally get it it's not about a box or celebrities a kid named Samuel shows up in the story. Some of you that are Bible study people, you remember Samuel, right? A little kid with biblical insomnia, couldn't sleep. God kept waking him up at night. A wise mentor said, the next time God talks to you, you just tell him this, I'm listening. It's a cool story. Samuel shows up and says, look people, for 20 years, you've now ignored God and nursed your sore spot and it's time to move on time to move on we're going to deal with this once and for all because you figured something out it's not about a box and your celebrities don't mean anything to God the Bible says then all the people of Israel turn back to the Lord so Samuel said to all the Israelites if and I will say to the people of Christ the king if I'm not assuming anybody's going to want to do this if you're returning to the Lord with all of your hearts then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the ashtaroths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and their ashtaroths and served the Lord only. I read that and go, oh, okay, there it is. We finally got it. Hmm. If you are returning to the Lord, then rid yourselves, which means this. If you have to rid yourself of it, it means you've had it the whole time. They were worshiping idols on the side. They were pulling in a little bit of this belief system, a little bit of this belief system. There was a buffet of spirituality, and they were picking and choosing and lining it up all alongside of Jesus. Can I tell you something, that will not work. God asks you to choose, false gods or me, you pick, and was willing to go to a cross to prove how serious he was for us about that choice. Israel's been worshiping false gods while claiming to be the people of the one true God. Here's the bottom line. You can't serve God while entertaining false gods. You should read that part of the story. It's awesome. The Philistines, while they have the ark, they keep putting it in the same tent as, as one of their idols known as Baal. And every morning they wake up and the idol of Baal is laying on the ground with their head knocked off. And they keep coming in going, who knocked down the idol? they like, I didn't knock down the idol. Did you knock down the idol? I didn't knock down the idol. And then they look at the box and it's just like, oh. But we keep doing it, don't we? We keep putting the things that we worship and we encircle the cross of Christ with them. You can, you can wor- worship is anything that you direct your time, attention, or your resources towards people often say, how do I know what my idols are? I'm like, look at your schedule and your checkbook. I'll tell you. For some of us, Facebook's an idol because you spend more time there than you do anywhere else. For some of you, your business is an idol. For some of you, your children are idols because you worship them and you don't want to offend them and you don't want to ever discipline them. And that's why the lunatics are running your asylum. told you hard hat and steel-toed boots, right? We think we can get away with false idols and God keeps saying the same thing. Doesn't my blood matter? Doesn't my sacrifice matter? You can only have one big G God singular. The Bible gets really personal here. Actually names the two gods that the Israelites were flirting with. Baal And Ashtoreth. Let me just boil down a whole bunch of Near Eastern ancient history to you. Baal was the little g god of success, and Ashtoreth was the little g goddess of sexuality. I'm so glad our culture doesn't have to deal with those two things anymore. It isn't it good that we've kind of graduated on beyond some things, right? You know that must that must have been tough. To have to deal with the God of success and the goddess of sexuality. Like that must have been really unbelievably difficult. I'm so glad that we have moved on to bigger and better things because we're so advanced. I can't think of much in my life that threatens my passion for Jesus. Outside of corrupt sexual desires and an addiction to be recognized because of my success. Anybody else relate to that? Don't put your hand up. Samuel saying to his people Your success is because of Jesus. Say thank you. Your broken sexuality needs to be brought under the lordship of Christ. Then and only then will you have a big G God in your corner. And then and only then can you come and find healing for your soul. It's a 20-year sin cycle that needs to be broken, a, a cycle of ritual that can only be devastated by a relationship. How do we break the cycle of religious ritual? How do you get there? How do you do that when well, we do it the same way the Israelites did? The Bible lays it out just piece by piece. First of all, you return to God's heart. You come with openness and honesty, you come in confession and repentance, you stop focusing on getting from God, and you pour yourself into getting with God. And it's not just about doing the right things, because I know this about myself, I can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And I'm going to say it again, if your ritual does not result in you coming face to face with God Almighty Himself, it's worthless. Secondly, you rid yourself of your little g-gods, plural. Okay, let, let's, just, let's just go for it. Some of you need to cancel your Facebook account because you're not godly on it. You stir up drama and trauma in your life and the people that are around you. And because you cannot handle it, you need to be man or woman enough to take a step away Because you get angry and frustrated and the whole world pays for it when you start typing in all caps. And you forget that your Bible says, Jesus first. And it also says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And it also says, a soft answer turns away anger. Just to throw a few things on there. Some of you need to ditch a distraction because you are more obsessed with your fantasy football league than you ever have been with getting to know the Jesus who saved your soul. Some of you need to forget about chasing success and climbing up the corporate ladder and realizing that everything that the world tells you, you're supposed to accrue and gather. I hate to tell you this, but at the end of the book, it all burns. You can't take it with you. It melts. Some of you need to just go, you know what? I refuse to chase what the world tells me is important. Some of you need to create a conviction in your heart where you only experience intimacy inside of a marriage with someone that you've made a lifelong covenant with. Aren't you so glad we've moved on beyond the gods of success and sexuality? The gods have to go. And finally, you've got to reevaluate your rituals. This is an interesting one. I've got a question for you. Why did you come today? Did you come to go through the motions of church? Because that's just what I do every six days because I need to perform for God so that he'll perform for me. Or did you come to encounter God? Did you come with your ears wide open saying, God, wherever you stick your finger today, that's probably an area I need to work on, so let me have it. Because I know my God is good and loving, and he wants the best for me. And if I need to experience conviction today, not condemnation, but conviction, then so be it. Did you come to hear a message that tickles your ears and makes you feel all warm and fuzzy about yourself? Because after all, you're a winner. If you did, boy, did you pick the wrong week to come to Christ the King, just saying. Did you come to to feel all good, warm, and fuzzy? Or did you come to have an honest conversation with God about the fact that the reality is you treat Him like a waiter, and He better get your order right, or you're going to adjust your tip? Please don't get me wrong. Some rituals are good. Can I be honest with you? I read my Bible this week out of pure discipline. I didn't feel like it. And then God led me to 1 Samuel 4. Thank you very much. But I'm glad I read my Bible this week. Because it said some things to me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It reminded me that God is working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I have no idea why my stepdad's heart attack is going to work out something good in me. At least I didn't until Friday. Because I'm sitting in a hospital room in Abbotsford going, what in the world? We were supposed to have four nice, easy days. We were just going to have a great little celebration together as a family. And now we got a curveball. And I mean, and this is not easy and this is not good. And I sit myself. You know what I found myself doing? A ritual. I found myself singing. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Sang it out loud in the hallway, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long, even though I don't feel like it, and everything seems to be going crazy, and I needed a win for the weekend because I was really, really tired, and now God's throwing us this curveball, but I know this, His grace is sufficient for us, even though it doesn't feel like it, and God messes with my rituals, and He messes with my schedule, and He messes with my life to find out whether or not I actually have the courage to turn to Him instead of run away. Did I actually mean it? This is my story. This is my song. For those of you who don't know, that's a really old Christian song from way back when. It's amazing. You know how it got ingrained in me? Ritual. We used to sing it in the Baptist church all the time. Verses 1, 3, and 4. Ladies, sing the verse for 3. And gentlemen, join us. Go on the chorus. Some of you remember that. Some rituals are good. Driving home, coming here yesterday afternoon, tired, broken, confused. And it wasn't about coming to the box, it was about hanging out with you. Because this is a church that cares and prays. This is a church that doesn't put the guys with the microphone up on a pedestal because we have revealed our humanity so many times, have we not? I just wanted to be with God's people. Because a hug from one of God's people, kind of like getting a hug from God. You know what? I needed a hug yesterday, I'll be honest with you. Some rituals are beautiful, but when you mistake a ritual for a relationship, boy, have you missed it. Because you can worship God anywhere. And I'll tell you something. You can find God's people everywhere. One more to add. You resolve to honor your most important relationship. And I don't know why you came to church this weekend. I came to church to connect with God and my spiritual family. I didn't think twice about coming and sitting inside of a really cool box with really nice lights and coffee cup holders. You know why? Because I don't care. I wanted to come and pour my heart out in front of God whether he says yes or no to my prayer because he's God and I am not. We know that, don't we? He is God and we are not. I didn't come this weekend cuz God needed me to. I came because I need God and I enjoy the company of other people who need him as much as I do. Welcome to the family. I don't want to be stuck in an empty ritual or an empty relationship. So let's just mess with the ritual completely. Because some of you, when I walked out here, some of you were like, um... Okay, this is not the way this is supposed to go because this is the way it's supposed to go. We're supposed to sing three songs. That's the way we do it. We we sing three songs and then Ryan does a really cool thing trying to guilt us in to give money and then we're supposed to do that and then the ushers start in the back work their way towards the front and as the offering passes by you stand and you're going to sing. That's really good and then we sing the fourth song because we need a good transition there and then Ryan prays not because he wants to talk to God but because they need to get the TV out so that looks really, really cool on the internet and it, and it did kind of throw me off today because he forgot to tell us to turn around and shake hands because we always do that after the fourth song because that's just the way that it's supposed to go. And then Grant comes out after the transition of that whole thing and he tells us some story and he cries and that's the way that it works. <laughs> And then we get to the end of it, and at the end of it, because he knows we all just really want to leave, he says, I want to borrow 180 seconds of your life, so would you please just stay in your seats, and don't be rude, and leave, and walk out the door, and then we're going to sing one more song, and we're supposed to have an encounter with God, and then he says, okay, finally, you can go, and then we leave, and we go and eat chicken wings and watch football, and that's the way Sunday's supposed to go, because that's what I do every six days. Simple question. Where was Jesus and all that? You know what I love? Some of you experienced him when you were singing, in tenderness, he sought me. Some of you experienced God when you ran into your best friend in the hallway on the way in. Some of you experienced God when you took a sip of the free hot coffee and went, oh, it's so good. So I know this is going to freak some of you out, but would you stand? (laughs) This is why it's going to freak you out. I'm not going to pray to close the service today. (laughs) But what am I going to do? Like, you need to sprinkle clergy dust on us before we get out of here because because that's just what you're supposed to do. That's how you're supposed to do it. Grant, come and do it. Don't. In a moment... I'm going to invite you to turn around and say hi to some of the people around you. Some of you are like, I'm an introvert. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> some of you, you're just going to smile at somebody and say, congratulations, you made it through that, whatever that was. I don't know. Like, wow, my toes are sore. For some of you, you've been sitting next to the same people for more than a decade and you've never introduced yourself. How rude are you? Like, So we're going to finish today by actually just being a family. And I don't know about you, my kids both came over over the weekend. And because of the stuff that's going on in my family, I hugged them both and held on for a long time. Maybe you need to do the same. Not because it's about a ritual, but because it's about a relationship. God bless you. Have a good week, church.